0: Who are the elite athletes? They are the men and women who have dedicated themselves to a level of achievement in a sport that most can only dream about. Whether they reach that pinnacle of success in high school, college, or in the pro game, the vast majority of these great athletes come to realize that their time at the top is only a few years. What does life have in store for them for the next 50, 60, or more years? What challenges and barriers do they face along the way? After the Glory is the show that features conversations with elite athletes as they talk about what led them to greatness and how their special skill set has prepared them for life beyond the playing field. Gary Stern and Lucy Sang are passionate admirers of elite athletes and are proud to bring you their stories. And now, the host of After the Glory, Lucy Sang and Gary Stern.
1: Well, it's great to be back on After the Glory with my partner, Lucy Seng. This is Gary Stern, and today we have a guest that has a personal story uh, that's remarkable, an athlete who has never really stopped being an elite athlete. But for me, our guest today, Mr. Willie Banks, will always stick in my memory with great fondness and great enthusiasm, because of a moment when we were both at UCLA in 1975 as a member of the UCLA track team under the direction of Hall of Fame coach Jim Bush. And in those days, dual meets were as popular as any football or basketball game that you could go to. And UCLA and USC were in a meet down to the wire. There was one event left to decide who would win that meet. That event was the triple jump. And the best triple jumper in the world was Mr. Willie Banks, who is uh, showing us, uh, although you can't see it on the podcast, um, his famous picture from the LA Times uh, or from local newspaper. Willie won the triple jump. He was carried off the track. The fans who crowded into Drake Stadium could not believe it. And uh, Willie Banks will forever be in our memory Willie Banks was born at Travis Air Force Base, grew up in San Diego County, went to Oceanside High School, was an Eagle Scout, came to UCLA and soon became simply the best triple jumper in the world. You know, they once called it the hop, skip and jump, but the more accurate phrase is the triple jump. And Willie Banks was the best that there was. He he represented the U.S. in 18 international competitions, set the world record of 17.97 meters. I believe that's about 58 and 50, almost 59 feet in 1985. Named the 1985 USATF Jesse Owens Male Athlete of the Year, the 1986 U.S. Olympic Committee Sportsman of the Year, uh, the 1983 IAAF World Champion Silver Medalist, and inducted into the National Track and Field Hall of Fame in 1999. There is so much more. But let's just welcome Mr. Willie Banks to After the Glory.
2: Thank you so much, Gary. Man, it sounds like I'm an old guy. This is amazing. I love it.
1: If you're old, my friend, so am I. Uh, (laughs) That's great. You know, Lucy and I like to start our discussion about how you came to your status as an elite athlete, but I guess the, the modified question would be, very few people get up one morning as a seven or eight or nine year old and decide, I'm going to do the triple jump. I would imagine though that somewhere the the general notion of running of, of the events of track and field uh, attracted you early on. How did you get started and, and how did you make your way toward elite status?
2: <laughs> well, let me start from the beginning. Then uh, I started, um, doing track because a friend of mine when we were in sixth grade said hey let's go try a, a, a track meet and i said track me what is that and he said well you just run and jump and do whatever i said okay let's just go so we went up to the high school and they had a, a, i believe it was called the Seroptimus track meet and we all got in and and uh, that day i ran the 50-yard dash and I did the long jump and the high jump and I took second in two of the events and third in one. And I was like, man, I am sold. This is awesome. I'll get better. (laughs) And uh, I started out actually as a high jumper because there was a time in P.E. in seventh grade when my uh, all my class was called to sit down and listen to this high schooler from Oceanside High who explained his his jump in the high jump and his his best jump was seven feet and when he put that on the uh you know when he put the bar on seven feet I couldn't even touch it it was amazing I said Mm -hmm. oh I've got to watch this guy jump I went up to the school the high school Uh, a few days later my parents dropped me off and I I went to the meet so that I could see him jump and they started around uh, five, six and, and five, eight and five ten. They went to about six, six, two and everybody was, was out. And I was like, wait a minute, he's not gonna jump today. What's going on? I didn't see him anywhere. I looked around all of a sudden the judge walks over to this one guy with a hood on sitting next to a young lady. And um, I guess they had a conversation. He stood up, he took off his uh, hoodie and it was him and i was like oh my gosh this is awesome <laughs> he walks over and still with his sweatpants on he jumps over 6'2 like it was nothing and i said right then i want to be that guy i want to <laughs> be that cool where everybody's out and i walk up and just leap over like it's nothing and so from that day on i thought you know i'll be a, a a high jumper and i started high jumping and then long jumping And in my junior year of high... Oh, by the way, the name of the athlete is Jerry Culp. He's presently uh, the assistant athletic director at USC. He went to the wrong school, but... I know.
1: (laughs) Give him a pass.
2: (laughs) So uh, my junior year, as I was saying, they introduced to this uh, California an event called the triple jump. I had no idea what it was about, but everybody tried it. And since I was already a, a, a you know a long jumper, high jumper, hurdler, I, I, I kind of took to it. And I did very well on the first day when everyone had to try it. So I went and told my history teacher, hey, I'm doing the triple jump now. And he looked at me and says, oh, really? Well, maybe I can help you, give you some advice. And I was like, look, old man, I just told you. I'm doing the triple jump and I'm the best in the school. And he said, Yeah, well, maybe I can still help you. I was the NC2A champion three years in a row and I would have gone to <laughs> the Olympic Games if it hadn't have been for World War II. And I was like, Okay, <laughs> I'll, let you, I'll let you teach me a little something. And he went out with me and showed me how to do, instead of a hop, a skip, a jump, he showed me how to do three even mm-hmm. jumps, the mm-hmm. triple jump. Mm -hmm. And from that day on, I was undefeated in high school until uh, the second to the last competition of my career in high school. And that was only because the wind was in my face. And I was such a skinny guy, you know, wind blows on me. And I was going airborne. Exactly. (laughs) So I lost that one. But that was the only one I lost in in high school. And I I, I owe that to uh, my history teacher who was a triple jumper when he was in college anyway. So a long story into to, uh, to answer your question. So thank you. Yeah.
3: Wow. Well, you know, before we take a quick break, I just wanted to share with our listeners. I was also a four year track and field star at my Woo-hoo! high school. And, and I also did the long jump, triple jump and both hurdles, but I was not inspired the same way Willie was. I only did it because I was the only one afri- not afraid to fall on my face, which I did a lot. <laughs> with that, we'll be back on After the Glory with our special guest, Willie Banks, and how he turned this inspiration into fruition.
0: Back on After the Glory in a few secs. Role models, they can make all the difference. In our world today, they have never been more important. One of the nation's most successful mentoring organizations is Jewish Big Brothers Big Sisters of Los Angeles. Their mission is to assist youth in achieving their full potential, through innovative and impactful programs. And no nonprofit agency does it better. Jewish Big Brothers Big Sisters of LA serves Jewish children, boys and girls, in our local community with a mentoring program that's been going strong since 1915. That's only the beginning. This nationally known agency owns and operates Camp Bob Waldorf. Its summer camping and weekend retreat programs enrich the lives of youth throughout greater Los Angeles. Then there's a college support program. And last but not least, work that helps kids all over the world through the Teen Talk app. Want to learn more? Go to jbbbsla.org. Donate. Get involved. There's no better way to make a difference.
3: And we're back on After the Glory. This is Lucy Tsang with Gary Stern and our special guest, world-class triple jumper, Willie Banks. Willie, you shared with us a wonderful story and how you got exposed to track and field and, and the art of the triple jump. When did you realize that this was something that you could pursue at an elite level?
2: Wow. I think that Gary talked about my SC exploit where I, I won the, uh, the meet. Uh, with a junior record of 55 feet one inch my freshman year at UCLA. And at that point is when I thought, hmm, I could be really good at this. (laughs) I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship, although I went on an academic scholarship at first to UCLA. And then uh, I switched to uh, an athletic scholarship because it was easier to deal with than academic scholarship, sure. So, uh, I, I, even coming out of school, I really didn't think I was going to be an athlete. So, the so to answer your question, I think it was that time in 1975 when I, I jumped 55-1.
1: Wow, was that just before you would have been able to? Be good enough to qualify for the seventy six Olympics, which is why your first one was the eighty. Is that was it just a timing
2: issue? So, so no, that was a good question. So the in seventy six I did go to the Olympic trials, uh, and I jumped, uh, I think fifty five two, and unfortunately I should have jumped. 55-3 because the guy who beat me <laughs> to to fight, to, uh, to land in third place and kicked me out to uh, as an alternate, uh, uh, he he went to the Olympic Games and I stayed home, but you know that was that was fine with me. Now, granted, my parents went, my siblings all went, my friends went to the Olympic Games in Montreal. But I stayed home and vowed to myself that in 1980, I would make the team. Mm. And in 1980, I was the best in the world. I won the Olympic trials by a foot. And we stayed home because of the boycott. I was furious. Mm. And it wasn't until 84 that I finally made an Olympic team in L.A. Heck, we couldn't boycott that. Right.
3: Yeah, no way. No way.
1: You you know, share with us, if you would, Willie. a little bit of your perspective on just athletics generally and the circumstance of being excluded from an Olympic Games because of politics. How did that inform your thoughts about the Olympic movement and about society generally when athletes had their dreams shattered in 1980 because of a boycott?
2: Very good question and we are still facing these kinds of situations with threats of boycotts, even from our own government. There's been so many uh, times where athletes have lost the ability to compete on the world stage in the Olympic games on political boycotts. Now, uh, it had two effects on me. Number one, it really angered me, the fact that I could not compete in 1980 For a reason that had nothing to do with me, or my community, or, you know, it was all political. It was because the USSR at the time, uh, called Russia, had invaded, quote unquote, uh, Afghanistan. (laughs) And so... Uh, President Carter decided that we would not go to the Olympic games because the Olympic games was being held in Moscow. And he wanted to protest the fact that uh, Mos- uh, that the, the Russians had invaded Afghanistan. Now, so that angered me and upset me. And I tried, I worked with a lot of people to try and overturn it. It did not work. However, it did have a lasting benefit for uh, athletes. And here's why. So I got more involved in the politics of sport and I supported different political um, changes. One of them was the US, the Sports Act of 1978. But more than that, in 1980, we had, I, I joined the Athletics Congress, which is, a, which is the governing body for track and field and I started going to meetings and I started to advocate for athletes rights and me and several other athletes got together and we decided that we were never gonna let this happen to us again. This mm. thing called amateur was, 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 uh, was abusive to us. And so we decided we were gonna try and get rid of the idea of amateurism in, uh, in sport. So we created what is called a trust fund we were able to use this trust fund to pay for expenses. And uh, if we won something, we would just put it in the trust fund. So we got around the whole idea of quote unquote uh, pros because we weren't just getting paid to compete. We were getting paid to pay for the expense of coaching and utilization of, of facilities and of travel and all those things that you had to pay for, even if you were an amateur. Eventually it got into, well, You know, I got to live. So I need food. Well, I got to live. So I need a car. I got to do this. So I need a house. So, you know, pretty soon they got rid of amateurism. So it works. So, yeah, it was a negative at first. But because of that, it changed people's attitudes and it helped us move away from amateurism. And now we have professional athletes who are going to the Olympic Games.
3: Incredible. Well, Willie, I want to ask you, we have lots of guests on After the Glory, but not many in, in as an elite athlete in track and field. Tell us about the sport itself, how individual it can be, but how it is still a team sport and what you love most about it.
2: Well, the team part of, of being in track and field really most of that happens in college. The NC2A system is an incredible system and it it really helps. Uh, track and field athletes feel like a team. Uh, High school has a similar uh, feeling, but really when you get into college and you're competing, it's just an amazing feeling to be able to compete with similar uh, outstanding athletes and compete against schools. And, and, and when I was in college, there were times when we had 15,000 people at Drake Stadium and the television company would come out and set up at Drake Stadium. And it was just like being at a basketball game or a football game. It was just incredible. I think the rules of the NC2A kind of changed that atmosphere, but it still gives, I think, athletes the opportunity to feel like a team. And let me
1: tell you something, uh, Willie. There's so much more, and I know... You're modest, but we 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 need to share with our audience the other areas of track and field that you really were a groundbreaker. And so let's talk about that. Tell some stories, perhaps about some of those great moments uh, of, of of with the crowd when we come back on after the glory. <laughs>
3: Hey, this is Lucy Sang from Resiliency Coaching. I am a certified mental performance coach focused on working with athletes transitioning into life after the glory days of sports. I help like-minded people become high performers and thrive in all areas of life. My goal is to serve as your accountability partner and offer different perspectives as you make tough decisions. Learn more about me on Instagram at resiliency underscore coaching. R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-T-S-E-E underscore coaching. And thanks for tuning in to After the Glory.
1: And we're back on After the Glory. This is Gary Stern with my partner, Lucy Sang and our very special guest, uh, uh, U.S. Olympian and uh, still an athlete to today. We'll get to that in a moment, Willie Banks. Willie, um, I, I alluded to this uh, on our lead out the last time. You added something to track and field in terms of its relationship between the athlete on the field and the and the fan in the stands that hadn't really been seen before. Uh, the the uh, Wikipedia refers to the clapping or the hand clapping, but it's, I'm sure it's more than that. Share with our audience what happened and what that contribution
2: was. Well, thank you, Gary. It, it was kind of a synergistic thing that happened to me in 1981. Uh, as you know, in 1980, we boycotted the Olympic Games, and I was so downtrodden, and I didn't know what to do. But I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll train for four more years to make it in an 84. And the year uh, 1980, I thought I was in the best condition of my life. So coming out of that year in 81, I actually set the national triple jump record of 57 feet, seven and a half inches, and I thought... I'm going to get paid. I'm going to go to Europe and I am going to get paid. So my manager and I went and in the first meet that we, we got was in Stockholm and that meet was, uh, uh, you know, it's was a fairly big meet, and, and, and my, all the meet organizers would meet at Stockholm and then decide what athletes they're going to take to their or their meets so that, uh, you know, each athlete would know where they were going uh, for the summer. My manager went in and talked to them, came out and said, well, I've got good news and I've got bad news. And I said, bad news? What's the bad news? He goes, well, they're not having the triple jump this year, so I didn't get any triple jumps. But I got you a long jump in Lausanne. And I was like, well, both of those are bad news. You know I'm not a long jumper. He said, well, that's the best I could do but that didn't satisfy me. And so I went into this room where all the meat organizers were. Now you're not supposed to go in, but I was very upset and I didn't know what else to do. So I went in, I went up to the guy who had the most uh, meats and who was probably the leader of the organization. And I said, Hey, I don't understand this. I heard you don't, you're not going to have the triple jump in your meats this year. What's going on? And he looked at me with a stern face. He was a, he was a London cop. And he looked at me with <laughs> a darn face. He said, listen here, young man. Why in the world would I bring you to my meet and pay you when you're not bringing people to my meet? You're not putting any butts in the seats. So I'm not paying you. I'm not having the triple jump. Anyway, it's boring. Get out of here. That's what he told me. I was like, what the? So I walked out and I was down and I didn't know what to do so I put my stuff on I went to the meet early the Stockholm meet early and I just started warming up and they had this new thing called the Walkman for those of you who are too young (laughs) to remember I had it's a tape recording and I taped this song over and over again because I like the guitar instrumental it was called Not Just Knee Deep by Parliament Funkadelic and I listened to this thing and it helped me to stretch And to kind of get my mind focused so once the meet started i grabbed all the guys together i said guys come on man we got to do something really special today they say the triple jump is boring they're not even going to have the triple jump after this meet we got to show them how great this event is they kind of looked at me and kind of walked away you know heads down i was like maybe they don't speak english i don't know but anyway i i decided well if if they're not going to do it i've got to do something anyway the first eight guys fouled, and it was so crazy. I was like, oh, this is going to be a real bad meet. So when it was my turn to come up, I stood at the top of the runway and took off my sweatpants. And as I was taking my sweatpants off, one of, the, one of the, a few of the guys in the crowd whistled, you know? And I was like, what the? I turned and I was like, okay, cool. This is Sweden. You know, you can drink in the stands. So they were having a good time drinking. So what I usually do when I get ready to go is I shake my, I clap my hands three times. I shake my fist three times and then I go. Well, I clap my hands three times and these guys mimic me by clapping their hands three times. And I, at first I was upset. I was like, come on, I'm trying to concentrate here. But then I thought to myself, well, if you're concentrating focus, you won't hear it. So I clap my hands three times. They clap their hands three times. I shook my fist three times. I ran down and jumped. And that jump was the best of that round. So, you know, because most of the guys fouled, I came back and those guys were laughing. I put my headphones on, I started to stretch and dance, and they were laughing. So, when it was my turn again, my second attempt, I stood up and I clapped three times and they started clapping just like this. And I go, okay, I ran down, jumped 55 1, which was the Swedish record. And then I Come back and I wave to those guys. I thank them. So every time I went up, more and more of the audience was getting into this clap. So by my fourth attempt, I stood up and three quarters of the stadium was clapping. And I ran down and I jumped like 50, 50, close to 55, 56 feet. And so I then got an idea. I went over to meet media organizer. I said, can you give me three flags? And he said, three flags? What do you need three flags? I want to put one by the Swedish record, one by the European record, and one by the world record. And he said, got it. He put the three flags out. I ran back. It was my turn. On my fifth attempt, I, everybody at whole Stadium was clapping. I ran down, boom, boom, boom. I ran down and jumped. And I jumped right at the world record. I stood up with my hands over my head. And I was like, yeah, and everybody was clapping. And I looked back. Now, I knew I had fouled big time. I could feel it. The plasticine, you could see it like from Mars, it was so bad. And the guy raises the red flag and the flag is shaking in his hand because he knew the audience was going to go crazy. So they're whistling. That's their form of booing in Europe. And they're jeering and calling him names. And I ran back, and I got on my hands and knees. I looked down at the plasticine. You could see it was clear that I had fouled. And I looked up at the guy and I said, "Yeah, you got me." And he just he just let out this big breath, like, "Oh, thank God!" So I waved to the crowd, big smile. I ran back, and they started cheering again. Well, in track and field, most of the track athletes they finish and they they go off the track but at first they run around the track one time and they get applause and they get uh, flowers and and bras thrown at them <laughs> and it's kind of crazy but field eventers we just walk off they kick us off get off the field so i thought before they kicked me off the field i'm going to take a a victory lap now i still had one more jump everybody still had one more jump but i didn't figure anybody was going to beat me so i started jogging slowly around And as I jogged around, people would stand up, clap and sit down all the way around the stadium. That was the first wave I'd ever seen in track and field. Mm. I got there, stood at the top of the runway and everybody waited. And then I raised my hand, they stood up and I put my hands together and was like, And they started clapping. I was shaking my fist and I stood at the top of my toes. I mean, my toenails were jammed into my toes and I just ran, took a hop, a skip, a jump very close to the world record, which was 582. and I'm yeah, 582 inches. and my, my best was 57, seven and a half. I landed boom. but it was still the uh, European record and I raised my fist and white flag goes up and people come out of the stands, they grab me, they put me on the shoulder, they give me a microphone big mistake as you can tell because I (laughs) started talking I don't even know what I said but I was talking for probably 3 or 4 minutes on the mic and uh, after it all finished I thought wow I walked over to where all the meat organizers were, especially where that big guy, big cop, was. And I mm-hmm. kind of rubbed my fingers on my, my my fingernails on my chest and looked at my t- my nails. And I looked up at him. And I said, "So y- you were saying the triple jump is boring, right?" <laughs> <laughs> Mic <he> drop. <laughs> okay, and, and okay, you got six meets
1: with me. Well, we're gonna come back for one more segment and talk about uh, Willie Blanks, the fan favorite and life since the Olympics and since those elite days as a world athlete because he hasn't really gone anywhere when we come back.
4: This is Daryl Wayne here to talk to you about the co-creator and co-host of After the Glory, Woodland Hills lawyer Gary Stern. When Gary's not talking to elite athletes, you can usually find him doing what he's been doing for almost 45 years, navigating the world of government. As a college student and young professional, Gary helped folks deal with federal and state agencies through his work as a caseworker with a local congressman and state senator. That work prepared Gary for a career as a consumer lawyer. Today, Gary still helps people in all walks of life, but his passion nowadays is his service as a mediator, mostly in cases like the ones he's been handling for over four decades, where people have been injured in accidents or in connection with their employment. You can learn more about Stern Law, the law offices of Gary N. Stern at his website, www.sternlaw.org. That's S-T-E-R-N. Or you can call him at 818-710-2717. That's 818-710-2717.
3: And as we wrap up this episode of After the Glory, this is Lucy saying with Gary Stern and our special guest, Willie Banks. You know, we're on After the Glory, but I think in Willie's case, he's still in the midst of his glory. Willie, tell us about, you know, how you wrapped up your Olympic career and where your athletic career is looking at now.
2: Well, Lucy, I had a, a wonderful athletic career, as you know, and, and, and I finished sixth both in 1984 and, and 1988, which a lot of people would say, oh, too bad. But you know what? It was wonderful for me because afterwards I did so many things and stayed involved in track and field. And, you know, you talk about after the glory, it was glorious to be uh, you know, a world record holder and be at the top of my game and to have people clapping for me all the time in front of 60 to 70,000 people. But it's even more awesome that I'm still competing at the ripe old age of 65 hey. and looking forward to getting older because every time I get into a new category of, of age, I can set a world record. Amen. So it, life is good because I'm at this place in my life. I love what I'm doing and I, I love the fact that people come to the meets and still I get a little fandom here and there, but the most important thing is I'm still moving.
1: Tell us about your professional life since then. Obviously you've raised a family and uh, married and tell us about your professional life uh, in these uh, last uh, 20, 30 years.
2: So I was I, I got involved in sport and I did a lot of uh, things when I was um, younger. But I then went to Japan and I was a prof- I I was a professor of law and um, sport at the University of Chukyo Chukyo University in Central um, uh, Japan. Then I came back home and I worked on the nineteen. Uh, 96 Olympic Games as the athlete services director. Then before that, I worked on World Cup 94, then wow. the Olympic Games 96. Then I became a lobbyist for a few years where I was lobbying for big cities who wanted to host the Olympic Games. And then I founded HSJ Incorporated. And what I do is I do trade between Japan and Taiwan. I send, and it's mostly export. I export artificial turf as well as other sports-related items to uh, those two countries.
3: Wow! You
1: know, Willie, uh, and and so much more. You, uh, as as you alluded to earlier, involved heavily in the uh, promoting and uh, and uh, advocating for athletes. Uh, you were president of the Olympic uh, U.S. Olympians Association from 2005 to 2008. You're part of the board of directors of USATF. You were President, Chief Executive of the Local Organizing Committee of the ANOC 2019 World Beach Games, mm. you've done a lot of things, and what's most important, as you indicated, not only have you kept active. Uh, I, I think a final question we'd all like to have you share with our audience is: What does after the glory mean, or what it what what can it mean in a, in in a most inspiring way, as opposed to any implication
2: of of a past that? can't be reclaimed? Well, in my mind, it means giving back. And, And the way I give back is to go back to the sport that gave me everything. My treasure, my wife, everything I have is due to track and field. And so I give whatever I can. I'm now I sit on the council and I have spent the last year working with a group of my peers to develop a plan for track and field worldwide so that we can improve uh the world so that we can make the world more healthy we call it fitter we can make the world fitter and so that's what i've done with my life and that's what i will continue to do is to give back to my sport my country and my community ladies and gentlemen willie banks a hero of mine
1: when i was a student a hero of mine today. Lucy, uh, I know you joined me in thanking Willie being our guest today. And until next time, this is Gary Stern and Lucy saying thank you, Willie Banks. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Lucy and I hope you enjoyed this edition of After the Glory. As we leave you until next time, we want to thank our team, our producer, Mark Allen, executive producer from PodClips, Mike Anderson, and our sound engineer and editor, the insane Daryl Wayne. We are also grateful for music by T. Dan Hofstede. And as we close out this episode of After the Glory, we honor our guest with our theme song, written and sung by my brother in baseball, T. Dan, the master of music from the islands and the slack key guitar. Until next time, stay safe, healthy, and athletic.
4: Living the dream on a shooting star, hometown crowd cheering what you are, living large and riding high, razzling and dazzling across the sky. Back in the day, so young and strong, work or play.
1: your story, what you gonna do after the glory, step back and take inventory, checking
4: out new territory, not every day will be congratulatory, hopefully you are still.